Welcome to Vix Mix, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Sexy Senorita. Listen as I share my experiences of being a mama, being all wifed up, my journey with cancer, yep, that's right, and as I get into all the raw, unfiltered moments in between. Alright, so let's get into it. Hello, hi, and welcome back to my cancer recap. Today, on this episode, I plan to go over my chemo and surgery that I had. Alright, so I started chemotherapy on September 18th, 2017, and that chemotherapy I did was called Full Fox, and that's just an acronym for the types of chemo. Full Fox, full for folinic acid. The F is for 5-FU, also known as fluorouracil, and ox is oxaliplatin. Technically, oxaliplatin and the 5-FU or fluorouracil are the actual chemo drugs, and folinic acid is just kind of an aid. But anyway, that's what that stands for, and that's the chemo that I was on. Just to kind of describe what chemo is versus radiation, because I was kind of confused on what chemotherapy was versus radiation. I kind of thought that radiation was pretty much one and the same of what chemo was. So radiation is basically just like a laser pulsated light that radiate to kill the cancer. And the reason why I was not able to do radiation is because radiation is only good when this, the cancer is centralized in a location. But because I was stage four and what stage four cancer really means, means is it's spread everywhere and it can never be cured. So yeah, chemotherapy, and there's different types of chemotherapy too, but majority and the main type of chemotherapy is what you take through your vein like through an IV intravenous. So that's what IV stands for, intravenous. That's why I had gotten my port placed in my body for that reason because I was going to be doing chemo a lot. And like there's other stuff too, like I was saying, the chemo can be in form of a pill or a form of a shot, um, but majority of the time it's through an IV. Okay, when you start chemo, you're supposed to at least do it for 12 rounds, um, a total of six months, because it goes every other week. I only did five rounds of chemo because I was finally a candidate to have the surgery. I had to be chemo-free for at least four weeks. And I think the reason why we didn't do surgery first is to see how I would tolerate chemo and see what would happen and then do the surgery. Let's talk about what the chemo did to me. Oxaliplatin is the chemo drug that causes neuropathy and cold sensitivity, which increased after each round. So the first, my first week on being on chemo wasn't that bad because yeah, I did get the symptoms pretty quickly, but it wasn't as dramatic as I thought it would be. So yeah, let me make that clear. So with full fox, you're pretty much there for a full day of getting the chemo pumped through your body or infused through your body. And then you take home a pump for three days, which is the 5-FU, the flow uracil. And that main symptom that I got from it was the fatigue and nausea and vomiting. Yeah, so I think by the, let's say I get it on Monday, so then by Wednesday was when I would get the pump taken off. And when I get the pump taken off is when I would feel sick. And sick meaning you're getting a cold or the flu, you just start to feel icky and, you know, nothing really tastes good. And you're just, you just, all you want to do is just lay in bed and forget about the world. And, and then I got extremely sick with vomiting and I got ex- dehydrated, very painful, and it sucked. 
Um, anyway, going back to the Oxali plan with the cold sensitivity, so you couldn't touch anything cold, you couldn't drink anything cold, and it wasn't that bad first cycle. I mean, it was just kind of like a weird feeling. But then as each week it gets stronger or it lasts a little bit longer. And that's when everything freaking sucked. Especially because it was September up until November when we stopped starting to get into the winter months and it was getting cold. So to be having this cold sensitivity on top of it being, you know, the change of the seasons to be winter was pure hell. One thing I can remember is um, getting in... I'm about to cry because I just, I remember it. Like, I remember trying to get into bed and my, it hurt my body so bad to get into bed because the sheets were cold and I couldn't even lay in my own bed because of the side effects I was having. A lot of time I wouldn't even sleep with my husband because I was just so tired that I would sleep either on, like we had a little bed downstairs or, you know, I'd sleep in my son's room while my son slept with my husband. Oh, and also one weird thing was happening with my hands is like they would turn into claws like they would automatically start closing because they were so cold. So anything I'd get out of the fridge or even if I was just like cutting up fruit that was cold, it would freaking hurt and it'd be so painful. Um, typing, I couldn't type. Luckily, like putting on my clothes wasn't that bad, but it was just mostly like doing, touching anything that was cold. It was painful. And what was weird, it's not like it's cold, like you're just touching some ice. It felt cold in your bones. Like that's how cold it felt. Like it didn't matter how many layers I had wrapped on it, just inside I felt cold. I have a lot of electric blankets and I had a lot of different kinds of gloves. I would sleep with gloves and even just like do daily stuff with gloves on. So that's how bad it got. And I want to say by this third cycle is when it started to be really really painful. The first cycle wasn't too too bad. I think the, what was really bad was the vomiting and getting that under control and also I got the, this metal taste in my mouth which I wouldn't, wouldn't even eat. Oh and because I was having the issues with my colon it already got, got onto the right side of my colon which interestingly enough the right side of your colon is where it starts to connect to your small intestine. That's when it starts basically turning your food into waste. That was kind of weird too because I I wasn't really I couldn't really eat a lot of food. Like I couldn't tolerate meat, being high fiber. What else? Oh, and spicy foods. At that time, I think I was juicing just to get a lot of nutrients. I think I pretty much lost. I want to say about. 10-15 pounds right away because I wasn't eating barely and if when I was eating I wasn't eating like things that would you know put fat on me. I just didn't have an appetite either. I was either sleeping all the time or vomiting and just trying to be alive. That's kind of how those first five cycles were and thankfully within that those five cycles I got a scan and the scan revealed that the cancer spread more. So I think at that time it looked like it was in my reproductive system, or I want to say it was in my right ovary, my appendix, my colon. I think that's it. That was like I think the initial scan. So then when we did another scan with me being on chemo, it looked like it spread upwards. So it looked like it had hit my pancreas. It had traveled a little bit more of my colon. So you have on your right side, you have your ascending colon, and then on top, you have your transverse colon. So I think it had hit half of that. And then, of course, like I said, I think my pancreas, oh, and my spleen. So that's right away, and my doctor's like, okay, chemo's not working. We need to try surgery. 
they put me on chemo first because that's what the tumor board decided to begin with. And so now the second meeting, they decided, okay, yeah, she was able to tolerate chemo. Looks like it's spreading, so it's not doing anything. The next step is to do surgery. And the surgery that they want to do specifically for what I have is called HYPEX surgery. And HYPEX stands for hypothermic intraperineal chemotherapy. Basically, freaking bomb in my body. I think also it's called cytoreductive surgery, or they also say debulking, and that's just where they cut up the pieces where they see the cancer and remove the cancer out of the body, and then the actual high-peck surgery is where they pretty much do a shake and bake with the chemo, then it's heated chemo too, and it's targeted directly onto the cancer. They let it cook for a while, and then for like an hour and a half, and then they drain it, sew me back up, and there you go. So me being naive and pretty much saying ignorance is bliss, I was like, hell yeah, I want to do this surgery. When I first got diagnosed, I really didn't want to Google what I had. I just didn't want to pretty much scare myself into thinking that, I don't know, that I had a death sentence. And I just, I was just kind of scared. And plus, my husband was Googling all this stuff and he was acting all crazy and weird and sad. So I just knew it was already bad. Well, when I did do any kind of research, it was mostly what is the best treatment and what kept popping up was this HYPEX surgery. Just knowing that that was probably my best bet with the type of cancer I had, I was like, okay, yes, HYPEX, 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 I want to do it. Not really understanding what HYPEX involves or what it would do to me. So that's where I'm saying ignorance is bliss because I didn't really know what that would be. Even though I read about it, you know, reading and Google every other word that's like medical jargon was just a tassel in itself. So when I got approved to do that, we stopped my treatment in November so that I would have a month out. My scheduled surgery date was December 13th. And I was just so freaking excited. Plus, I was excited because I wasn't going to be on chemo. I wasn't going to have to deal with the horrible side effects. And then it was also my way to like have a break and probably try to gain a little bit of weight. Now comes surgery time. It's kind of weird because I went in not really knowing anything. So I, when I would see my surgeon, I wouldn't ask a lot of questions. And <laughs> every time they would tell us stuff, I think I just got kind of overwhelmed and freaked out about what was going to happen. He went over the CT results and what he said, that types of surgery I'd be doing, the things that he would be taking out of my body or whatever, debulking. It was a lot of stuff and it was kind of crazy. I'm like, geez, what are you going to leave inside me? And he was funny. He even said that my case was, I think he went, what did he call it? It was, I don't know, like a mediocre, like it was medium, somewhere along that line. Like it wasn't like that bad the way he made it sound. So I was just like, what? Yeah, right, dude. Anyway, yeah, he pretty much said it could be anywhere between to like a 14 to 16 hour surgery based off of everything that they were doing. It was going to be all day. I wasn't allowed to eat. I'd have to kind of prep similar to a colonoscopy. And he said between 14 to 21 days in the hospital. You know, those were the stats that he gave us. So we were kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to have a Merry Christmas. And I think that was hard for my husband because Christmas is like his favorite holiday of all time, you know, with our son being two, like that's the age when they start to kind of understand, you know, who Santa is and stuff. So I think that was hard too. But you know, we just said, screw it, we gotta do this. If it's gonna add a couple years to my life, you know, might as well. Surgery happens. I had it at the University of New Mexico. That's where my surgeon, that's where he's located at. Because it is at a university, it is a teaching hospital, so I think he had like a lot of people there. You meet all these people, and well, some of them are still like in their residence or fellowship or however it's called. 
And one of the anesthesiologists, she's like, okay, we're going to put a epidural on your back. And I guess she said that I laughed, but I don't really remember that. So I remember being kind of out of it and then not really remember anything. But I do remember like voices during the surgery. Like I remember him talking about um, certain parts of my reproductive system and like explaining what the cancer looks like. Something with my uterus, which is connected to my kidneys and to my bladder. And then I remember being very, very calm. And then I remember my brother's voice. So my brother passed away in February 2017 and I'm having my surgery in December 17. And even before I had my surgery, I so I'm Catholic. So I went to mass and did the anointing of the sick mass. And like, it was weird because during the mass, I had this like weird feeling and I felt like my brother's presence. And I think at that point is when I realized that I'm probably suffering for him. And, um, not to get so emotional, but when when he was killed, he was killed, like, his gunshot was through his gut, and so that's where it was, like, I had this revelation, like, oh, I'm suffering with my brother when he was murdered, and that's why I'm going through all this, and I think that's what happened at church, and I just totally, like, had this little breakdown. So when I was in surgery, I, I just remember his voice, and, like, me and my brother's relationship was, oh, I love you so much. It was more like, hey, motherfucker, you know, get your shit together. So I just remember him kind of like cussing at me and telling me to like chill the fuck out and just to fight through it and stuff. So after that, I wake up in ICU, an intensive care unit. My husband was there and I think one of my coworkers, she was there too. Uh, when I wake up, I wake up with all these freaking tubes all over my body. I had a, what do you call it, a G-tube or NG tube. It's like the tube that goes through your nose to your stomach. I had a tube, a breathing tube through my, you know, through my mouth to my lungs. And I have like a, a tube in my side of my neck. I had a tube on the right side, um, a tube in my lungs so that my lungs wouldn't collapse. Um, I had another tube on my left side through my pancreas so that it was draining out blood. So I had just like all these tubes. I wake up and I'm like freaking the F out because I feel like I'm choking with all these tubes in my mouth. I can't talk, but yeah, I'm able to breathe on my own. Oh, and I guess um, they restrain you because usually when that happens, people when they wake up, they pull out the tube. And so that was what was happening. I was trying to like pull out this freaking tube. And so I remember they're getting all mad at me and like, we're going to sedate you. We're going to sedate you if you don't calm down. It was weird because only certain angles didn't feel like I was freaking choking or having that gag reflex. Yeah. So and then because I had like the chemo bomb inside me, I was toxic for at least a minimum of three days, I want to say. So, like, anything that would secrete on my body would be the chemo. People had to come in with, like, masks and gloves and stuff. I think that night, so when everybody left, I somehow, I think they, like, loosened it or maybe I loosened the restraints. So somewhere in that night, I kind of pulled it out. And one of the the nurses comes in, he's like, oh, crap, you know, she pulled, pulled it out. So then they got the other people to come in. I want to say they were the anesthesiologist people. They didn't want to take out my tube, my breathing tube. But the nurse kept fighting with them saying, she's breathing on her own. There's no reason why she needs this. If not, you're going to make her organs dependent on the breathing tube. And plus, like, she's already pulled on it. So finally, they removed that tube. And oh my god, that was like life changing. And then I ended up apologizing to the nurse. I was being like a crazy asshole, but that thing was painful and I was fine. And he's like, no, I get it. I totally understand. Doesn't feel the best. And I'm sure I was trying to let them know you were already breathing on your own. I stayed there for about four or five days in ICU. 
because I didn't have space in the oncology department where I was supposed to be after surgery. So I ended up staying there a couple days and I, there was like some really wonderful nurses there. They were just so kind and on top of everything. Okay, so after three days is when I'm not toxic anymore. At that time, I still had the, the epidural in me, and I still had a couple of tubes. Oh, I think I even had a catheter and everything. So they kept telling me, like, I need to move so I don't get the bed sores. You need to move, you need to move, and it's going to help when you get better, and you're going to be able to get out of here, so you need to move. At that time, I was like, I can't freaking move. I feel like I just, I can't. I can't do anything. I can barely freaking roll over. And then by the third or fourth day is when my organs start to wake up because I had so much surgery. I forget what it, the term is called, but basically everything kind of like falls asleep and then they don't really wake up for a while. By that time, my organs wake up and I start having accidents. But because I had the epidural, I could not control it. It would just, I would just be like, oh my gosh, I'm wet because I felt wet on my, on my legs. And I'm like, okay, I feel wet, I feel wet, something's wrong. One of the nurses called it, I forget, dumping. I think that was the term she used. But yeah, it was just like, basically everything's waking up and it's just, everything's starting to work again. So that was embarrassing because I couldn't even like, get up to go to the bathroom. I would just, I'd have to be changed like a baby. And then because I had a catheter, like, ugh, that was not fun. So I didn't really have visitors during that time. I think I thought, in the beginning, I thought I would have wanted visitors. But because I was just having so many problems, and being exposed in those types of situations, I just didn't really want anybody to see me. So I only had like a few select people to come visit me. Like obviously my parents, my husband, just a few close friends. Another thing too is with that surgery, you you get a fever. And it has nothing to do with anything. It's just what happens. So the ICU people didn't know about it. They're over here freaking out. They think I'm fighting this infection. So they're giving me all these meds. And I'm having a reaction to the meds because I'm not supposed to be on antibiotic. So I'm over here breaking out in rashes and having issues with that. And they're trying to cool my body down. So I'm over here freezing. And on top of that, the chemo that they used was the oxaliplatin the bomb that they did inside my body so that cold sensitivity sucked and then for them to try to cool my body thinking that I had this infection happening yeah that sucked but my worst experience was when I finally left the ICU and was in the oncology department um, mostly because they were short-staffed like pretty much that whole floor was just full which is why it took so long for me to get a room up there because I had no attention like I was with the ICU. Like those nurses were coming all the time checking in on me, if not every hour, like multiple times during the hour. This one, I'd be lucky if I get like maybe one person in the morning and one person at night. That was hard. Luckily, I had one, a really good friend of mine there. She basically would help me like walk to the bathroom. I'd have like all the student doctors come in the morning, kind of go over, do their little evaluations and then they would go and talk to the surgeon and give their summaries then he would come in and he would evaluate me and then all those students would kind of like okay this is what we talked about and this is what we think and blah 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 and he would come in and just be like no yes this is what it is my surgeon was you know pretty top-notch too he was he specified in specifically the type of surgeries that he did on me he was really really good also another thing hypex surgeries are very rare um, from my understanding there's only 11 or there's only 11 
locations across the nation that do this type of surgery. Thank God that I live in New Mexico because we are one of the locations and we have two surgeons that do it. Yeah, that was also a blessing, which I can't even imagine having this surgery and being out of state and not having the people that were there for me to help me throughout this whole time. What's crazy is I got my surgery done in less amount of time than they thought. Then I was only really there for seven days. Yeah, I was there for a whole freaking week. I was scared to death because I could barely walk on my own and I have a two-story home. I mean, I needed so much assistance to shower, to, to use the bathroom, to change, just to walk. It was, you know, it was horrible. Oh, one thing I didn't even say. My surgery, they took out my uterus, both my ovaries, my appendix, half my colon, half my pancreas, my spleen, my gallbladder, and parts of my diaphragm. So, yeah, what the heck did they leave inside my body? Oh, and then they were, like, forcing me to eat so that I could, like, make regular bowel movements so that they could release me, and I'm just like, I don't even want to freaking eat. I, I can barely make it to the bathroom. Like, I didn't even want to leave the hospital, but my surgeon was like, look, statistically it shows you would heal better at home. You won't, you know, you're higher risk of getting an infection here at the hospital. And he's just, you know, trying to convince me, and I was scared as hell. But they released me after seven days. That ended up being my time in the hospital after surgery. So thankfully, they gave me a walker and a bunch of, like, other tools to help me get dressed. We had a little bed set up downstairs, so I didn't have to go upstairs. Because, like, there was no way I could even walk up the stairs um, without freaking passing out. Oh, another friend of ours, she gave us a shower chair. Oh, and I lost so much weight. I was at the lowest. When this all started, I was like 134 pounds. Um, granted, I was probably bloated and full of food when I got sick, but I didn't remember that was my weight. And then I was released, I was at 104 pounds. And I'm only like 5'1", so... Five pounds is like 10 pounds on a normal person. I lost 30 pounds overall. And I felt it. I felt like I was a bag of bones. I knew I didn't have any muscle mass. I, I thought I looked terrible. I mean, I was just happy that I did it. I'm happy that I survived it. Happy that it probably added some years to my life. One thing I don't think I shared, but when I was first diagnosed, my surgeon said I had anywhere between four months to two years to live with the diagnosis I had. I don't think I really shared that with anybody, because, you know, that's freaking scary. But, but if you had just Googled the type of cancer I had, I mean, it's the statistics are out there. But because he said that to me, I mean, that's why I was so adamant about the surgery. And I was thinking, like, okay, if I can handle this surgery, maybe there's a greater chance I'm going to beat this. It was just a way to motivate myself to justify that I did it. I'm going to end this episode here, and I'll talk about my remaining chemo in the next episode and the problems I endured that time. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I'm going to close with a quote per usual. And this one is from Andrew Gray. And it says, Scars are simply modern battle wounds. Sometimes the enemy happens to be inside us. Yep, the enemy is freaking cancer. So fuck cancer. All right, guys. Thanks. Adios. Bye.
Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of VixMix, which is on Apple Music, Stitcher, and Spotify for now. Feel free to rate and review as you like or not, whatever. But please, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, what have you, send them my way to VixMixPodcast at gmail.com. Again, one word, VixMixPodcast at gmail.com. I appreciate and look forward to any feedback you have, but let's be real. No haters. All right. Until next time. Peace.